You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on March 3rd, 2019, by Bishop Neil Labar, a reading from the Gospel of Luke. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him, And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let's bow our heads for prayer. Let us pray. Father, we've heard your word read to us. And now we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to hear it deeply and apply it to our daily lives in such a way that we would demonstrate your love, your mercy and kindness to us and to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, first of all, it's great to be with you again. Uh, Great privilege to be here. Grateful for Chris and Carrie and for this congregation, all, uh, all your leaders. It's, it's just a, a joy to see your faces again. Uh, I'm so grateful uh, for your ministry in this place. And it's fun to watch, read your um, service leaflet and see the things that are going on. It's just great. Deeply encouraging. I'm going to start with a sad note this morning, but also happy in a way. It goes back a few years ago now. Uh, my wife, Marcia, had a sister uh, who was dying of cancer. And let me just say, I'm sorry, Marcia can't be with us this morning. She was planning to, but uh, we have a grandchild that is ill and needs tending. Um, but in any case, Marcia's sister was dying of brain cancer. And we went up to uh, visit her and her husband. He, they were living in a multi-level care community. And by this, by this point in the cancer, she was in the nursing section. He was still living in their apartment. And one morning as we were visiting, as I was praying, I, I was asking the Lord for an opportunity to share something about the gospel with her. She'd been resistant pretty much all of her life. Uh, it was one of the blocks in our relationship uh, with her, uh, generally a, uh, a good relationship, but she just was not going to talk about faith, didn't want to hear about it. And of course, that was a major part of our lives, and that made things very awkward. So after I was praying, shortly after I was praying, her husband came up from visiting her downstairs and said, she wants to talk to you, pointing to me. 
uh, and it sounded serious. So I went down and, and she said, can you tell me something about the faith? Something about what you believe? She'd never said that before. I hope it's an encouragement to you who are praying for loved ones to assume that I want you to understand that the Lord uh, may get them toward the end if they are resisting the gospel now. Well, she was ill. Uh, I knew she had a short uh, attention span in the sense that she was very tired. So I gave her a, a quick story of, of how I came to faith and then a quick description of the gospel. And she seemed uh, very open to that, um, surprisingly open to that. And we're trusting that the Lord used all of that uh, for eternity. But I want you to imagine yourself in the same situation. Somebody has asked you to tell about the faith. You only have a limited amount of time because they only have an, a, a limited ability to stay awake. They, you can't tell them everything, but you want it to have an impact. What would you say? What would you say? There's a phrase that you've probably heard before, an elevator speech. The idea behind it is really, I think, comes out of the sales world, which is if you're riding on an elevator with somebody, what's the short version of your message that you could get done in the course of an elevator ride? Now, in Florida, most of my elevator rides are in, in hotels that are two or three stories high, and I don't think I can say much of anything on an elevator ride like that. So imagine a taller building, a little bit more time than a three-story elevator ride. But... I want us to consider three elevator speeches this morning. The first I want to look at is what is an Anglican? Because you're finishing a series on what it means to be a member of this church, and that's part of being a member of this church. And it's useful to have a short answer to that question. I've often been asked the, I've often been asked the question, what's an Angelican? And I have to point out to people, we are not angels. That's not what's going on here. The second question is, who is Jesus? Which comes out of the heart of the uh, gospel reading this morning. And then finally, what is your elevator speech about him? What's an Anglican? Who is Jesus? What's your elevator speech? Now, there's a rule of thumb for elevator speeches. Uh, you have to gauge your audience. You have to decide how much are they willing to listen, how long are they willing to listen. A few years ago, I led an Israel trip, and a woman named Lisa Chin was with us. She was used to going on short-term mission trips and then coming back to her congregation or uh, training people as they go back to their congregations to give an answer to the question, how was the trip? And so she shared with us, because we were all going to be heading home from this particular Israel trip, that when people ask the question, how was your trip, you need to gauge ahead of time the length of the answer they're expecting. And she made the case that you need to know a two-minute version of the answer to that question, you need a five-minute version, and you need a 10-minute version, depending on their, their attendance. Well, often when we're asked about our faith, we need to gauge what kind of answer they're looking for. I will say that nine times out of 10, they're not looking for the 10-minute version. So we need to be thinking briefly when it comes to at least our initial conversations. Of course, they can expand the conversation as much as they like. So let me give you a two-minute version of what is an Anglican. Now, I'm not quite sure it's two minutes. When I timed it at home, it was. But, you know, when you're in front of people, you just go a little longer. 
Um, well, first of all, I'd say Anglican is from the word England. So it's not a theological term at all, like Baptist or Catholic. And we have to remember in history that the British, over the course of time, invaded about 180 of the roughly 200 countries in the world. And as they went out, along with their armies or with their merchants, the Church of England spread the gospel throughout the world, spreading the love of Jesus. They shared uh, the gospel uh, by word and by worship, but also often creating hospitals, sharing uh, agricultural advances, and eventually ending slavery and polygamy and stemming tribal wars in many of the places they went. Because they went out and planted churches, the result is that we as Anglicans are part of the third largest grouping of Christians in the world after the Catholics and the Orthodox. So some things about us as Anglicans. First of all, we're adaptive. As the church went out, it taught people to worship in their own languages. Jesus is worshipped around the Anglican world in many, many languages. We're adaptive. We're liturgical. We have an ordered worship in which everyone is a part. It's not a show put on from the front with an audience sitting out there uh, listening to the preaching and sermon. No, no. We all have a part to play. We all believe that we're part of the body of Christ and uh, we are all called to be a part of the worship. Also, Anglicans focus on the essentials of the faith. The center part of the faith. So, for example, there's no Anglican eschatology, which is the word that means having to do with last things. When Jesus comes back, how are things going to go? Well, I had one congregation recently that was calling a new minister, and one uh, leader there was convinced that the new minister had to believe in the rapture, in the way that Jesus was going to pull people out at a certain point of history and other events that were tied to that. Now, I don't want to get into that discussion this morning, but the fact is there are multiple views of what's going to happen when Jesus returns. The Anglican view, if you will, is very simple. We say it many, many Sundays. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. What's the Anglican view of Jesus? He will come again. But we don't have a particular view of how that's going to happen. We focus on the essentials of the faith. Anglicans are biblical. Everything we're trying to understand comes from the scriptures. We believe in the authority of the scriptures. Anglicans are more relational than institutional. Bishops pastor the pastors, as I just shared with the children. And we have fellowship in geographical regions, which we call dioceses. We're not trying to build an organization so much as an organism, a family. And finally, Anglicans are well aware of our imperfections and our failures, and so we have confession right in the heart of our services. We know we haven't arrived yet. And we try to treat people as if they are in process toward the Lord rather than they meet up to all of our expectations uh, at the front end. So, Anglicans spread the gospel. We have local and global fellowship. We're focused on the essentials of the faith. We are relational in our outlook, and we have a biblical base. Now, I want to say being an Anglican is not the best way to be a Christian. 
because the Lord Jesus loves all Christians and each group has its strengths and weaknesses. But I will say it's a reliable way to be a Christian. It's a tested way to be a Christian. So that's, here ends my first elevator speech. Much more important is the second question, who is Jesus? And I'm gonna ask you to turn to Luke chapter nine, which was our gospel reading this morning. We'll get to it in a moment. The background to the story we actually saw in the Old Testament reading. Moses goes up on the mountain alone. He meets with God. And when he comes down, his face is glowing. Somehow that experience was so transformative that it actually changed his appearance in a miraculous way. And then we have in the gospel reading this morning, Jesus goes up on a mountain. And his face and body glow with the glory of God, even more dazzling than the experience of, of Moses. I'm not sure we can imagine what Jesus looked like in that moment. Now, unlike Moses, Jesus was not alone. He brought with him Peter, James, and John. And it must have been an overwhelming experience for, that, for them. We hear a hint of it in John 1.14. As John's reflecting on it, he says, And the word be Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. You're going to get the sense of the only Son or the chosen Son as we get into this passage in a moment. John was overwhelmed with that. And he's saying, I don't just have a theological opinion about Jesus. I have a personal experience of his glory. I saw him. But in addition to Peter, James, and John, Moses and Elijah show up representing Many things, but not the least of which is the law and the prophets, the whole experience of Israel. But know what they talk to Jesus about. And we only see this in Luke's gospel. Uh, look at verse 31. Note the topic. They spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. It's one of the few times where it really helps to know the Greek behind it because the word for departure in Greek is the word exodus. And they're talking about his exodus. They're tying what he's about to go through on the cross to the experience of Israel being freed from the Egyptians. And if you remember, the beginning of that exodus process starts with the death of a Passover lamb, blood put over the doors. And those who are under those doors are protected and will be freed uh, to go uh, toward the promised land. And you've got Moses who was there for that exodus, talking to Jesus about that sacrifice that was necessary. You've got Elijah, who understood that if the people of God are going to be freed, they have to be walking in a relationship with him. The greater Passover, the greater exodus, the freedom from sin and death is coming, and Jesus is the Passover lamb who will be sacrificed for the people. But in the midst of all that, I want you to hear God the Father's elevator speech. It's very short. Maybe it would be better to call it God's, God the Father's exaltation speech about his son, or maybe the elevation speech about Jesus. It's very brief. Luke records part of it. 
we'll hear another piece in a second. But in verse 35, it says a voice, namely the Father's, came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. In other words, Moses and Elijah are out of the picture. The temptation was to think that we had three equals up there and, and God makes it very clear, no, no. Both by what he says and by the fact that Moses and Elijah disappear, Jesus is the one to concentrate on. Peter later writes about hearing God's voice on the mountain in his second letter. He says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw him in his glory. I think he's referencing both this mountain experience, as you'll see in a moment, but also the experience of the risen Lord Jesus. For when he received honor and glory from the Father... And the voice was born to him by the majestic majesty. He's talking about this experience. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We were there. We heard it. We saw him. We saw his glory. So let's take apart what God's elevation speech contains. First of all, this is my son. There's a unique relationship between God the Father and God the Son. We see a shift when he says, my chosen one, or the one I've chosen. We see a shift from a focus on the chosen people, namely the people of Israel, who were delivered in their exodus through Moses, to the chosen person, the chosen one, Jesus. Unique relationship of God the Father with God the Son and God the Father exalting the Son. And then note the command. Listen to him. Listen to him. Now, if we heard that with Jewish years of the day, we'd understand something that we often miss. Which in Hebrew thought, to listen is to obey. If you hear something and you don't do anything about it, you haven't heard it. That's why Jesus says over and over again, he who has ears, let him hear. I mean, on one hand, isn't that obvious? No, no. What he's saying is, if you're, if you're listening, you have to put it into effect. You're not really hearing unless you apply it. We should li be listening to the Lord the way that somebody in the military would listen to a commanding officer. In other words, put these things into effect. Are you listening to Jesus, ready to obey what you hear? I just saw recently an uh, interview with a woman named Allison Bratcher. She's an actress. And she's been asked, she was asked to play the part of a woman named a Abby Johnson in a film called Unplanned, which is coming out soon. It's a movie about Planned Parenthood and about abortion. Abby Johnson was someone who was a director of a Planned Parenthood clinic and then totally changed her mind uh, about um, the rightness of what she was doing. In the midst of that, her faith took root. Now, Abby 
Alison Ratcher, when she heard about this part, was told by virtually everyone around her that if she took this particular part in a film, it would end her career. She would never be hired again. But as she prayed about it and listened to the Lord about it, she obeyed and took the part. And because she obeyed, she had her mother tell her a story she'd never heard before. She knew from her growing up that her mother had aborted a child before her and then went on to have her. But until she took that part, her mother had never told her the follow-up story, which is that the mother had gone to the abortion clinic with the intention of aborting her. And moments before the abortion was to begin, her mother decided to walk out and have her child. And Allison said that she realized as she finally heard the story that had been hidden from her her whole life, she finally realized that she was an abortion survivor. And in a sense, the movie is being made to increase the number of abortion survivors. She heard, she obeyed, and it actually led to fruit in terms of a more honest relationship with her mother. Well, what is the Lord saying to you that you need to hear and do something about? Which leads to the third question. What is your elevator speech about Jesus? Here's a really short one from John's Gospel. The blind man who was healed said, I once was blind, but now I see. That's a really short elevator speech. But he's describing his experience of Jesus. If I had to give you a, a, my elevator speech, uh, it would, uh, for my testimony, it would go something like this. I thought I had it all, but Jesus came after me to show me it wasn't enough and that he alone knew the better way for my life. Now, it's not the whole gospel, but it's an evidence that the risen Lord reached into your life and made himself known. So think what you would say. If I said, give one sentence, pointing to the hope you have in Jesus. It could be tied to you were blind, now you see. It may be an experience where you really met the Lord, he really spoke to you or healed you or, or did something else in your life that you'd want somebody to know about. But what would you give as your elevator speech? And I'm trying to get it down to one sentence. Now, in order to make this stick, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. But hey, I leave today and you won't see me for a while. I want you to think about that one sentence and then I want you to share it with a, another person here. If you're sitting alone, go get next to somebody. Uh, I know moving in church is almost uh, sacrilegious, but, um, but I want you to go and just say one sentence of one thing that you would say in your elevator speech. If you don't have something, then just listen to the other person's speech. But let's, let's do that. It won't take long. It shouldn't take more than a minute to do this. So if you're alone, move. And if you're not alone, turn to the person next to you and talk to them. Ask the Lord 
to give you one person to say this to this week. One of the reasons the churches in the U.S. are not growing right now, but shrinking, is because we don't talk to each other about these things. And I'd encourage you to find someone. It could be another Christian who just needs encouragement. It could be a non-Christian who needs to hear uh, something about the Lord. It could be someone in a journey who's been a part of the church and fell out. But ask the Lord to give you one person to say this to this week. You can just say, we had this crazy bishop here and this is what he asked us to do. That's fine. So in closing, yes, we're Anglicans. And that is only one tribe in the glorious body of Christ. And our calling is the same as all Christians. To proclaim Jesus, the Son, the Lamb who died for us. So let me close again with words from Peter. This is from 1 Peter 3. Peter wrote, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, which can be translated to make a statement or an argument. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I'm just trying to get you ready for somebody who might ask. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Share your experience of Jesus, but beyond that, remember what God said on the mountain. And share that as well. This is my son. The one who delivers his people from sin and death. The one who is in charge of our exodus. He was the one who was chosen and there to listen to him. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, there isn't a single testimony here that you didn't start and build. You brought people to us who brought us the good news of the gospel. We are reluctant witnesses, but we pray that we would be better able and more ready to share what you're doing in our lives. And we do pray you give each person here at least one person to share that testimony with this week. And Father, I pray as they gather back together next week, they would have stories to tell of how you worked. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.